I'm really excited today because I have a very special guest that I want to introduce everyone to. All the way from Pittsburgh in her driveway, we have Sid Charisse on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time that you and I have never done the podcast in the same space. So the fact that I'm phoning in is hilarious. (laughs) No, it's good. We Listen, this is our trial run. Um to see how we can communicate with everyone else from around the world. So it works in Pittsburgh. It's it's (laughs) awesome because I took a month off with my partner. We bought a house, an investment property, you know, one of those avenues of of revenue revenue to get to be a millionaire is investing in property. And we're renovating it right now. And so therefore I'm not in New York and I had to call in, but I'm actually sitting in my driveway in the car doing this podcast with you. No, it's really, <laughs> which is so great. It's strange because I actually still feel like you're just across the table from me here in the studio. Close your eyes and you can like <laughs> it, you can feel me there with you. <laughs> Let's talk about tour our tour dates <laughs> that we don't have. Oh yet. my gosh, we have. <laughs> okay, well, tour dates are coming soon. Everybody that's been asking. Um, if you're interested in hosting, there's still time for you to put in a request and our lovely agent, Erin, uh, with the left brain group will reach out to you. We're up to 46 um, but, requests. Yeah. That's insane. Right? So 46 people are interested in our salon symptoms class where we will be sending out all of our coaches all around the world to teach salons how to overcome symptomatic behaviors that they may have. And we all have them, right? They all start with like gossip and reactivity and laziness and lack of motivation. I mean, those are just a few examples of symptoms. But absolutely. I'm so excited though. It's gonna be incredible. And this is our third tour since we decided to start showing people our faces. Exactly. Um and I think it's gonna be incredible. And showing our so coaches' excited. faces. We're not as cool yeah. anymore. People do like Rachel, Cody, and Kate. They love them. <laughs> if you haven't been looking at our, we chose wisely. If you haven't been looking at our Instagram lately, um, Rachel Radford, who owns Ceremony Salon, she takes over our Instagram stories on Tuesdays and calls it Tough Love Tuesdays with Rachel's Rad. Um, her Instagram handle's at Rachel's Rad because her last name's Radford. It's very clever. Um, but she kind of like. She, you know, Rachel went through a. Well, hopefully, one day we'll have her on the podcast. But Rachel paid off over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt in nine months mm-hmm. uh, with our program while being a student in our program. Yeah, which was nuts. Um, and now she's all profitable. She's expanded. It's great. So she has a tough love series on Tuesdays on our Instagram. Please uh, jump on that when you can. And then we have Kate Kent who has. Friends, uh, Wednesday Friends Day, where she sits down and just hangs out with everybody that's on our Instagram and gives advice and talks about different topics. So she's she's on there on Wednesdays. And then, Sid, you're on there on Sundays. On Sundays. I do Sunday social. So I try to keep it to social media tips and tricks and fun Instagram advice and branding and how to make more money through uh, the platform of Instagram. But I like that it's called Sunday Social because I can bring attention to social awareness in our community and our industry as well. So you might see me stray off the topic of Instagram and talk about community a little bit too, which is really cool. I love that. And I... So tune in to our little shows. <laughs> I don't have anything yet. <laughs> which You're working on it. I'm working on it. I haven't <laughs> decided how I wanted to go about it. But um, So if you want to hear from me, you just have to tune into our podcast. Um, I love it. But... 
like my point with introducing all those people is that they're all going to be going around, us included, all teaching salon symptoms. So if you're sick of hearing from me and Sid, you have Rachel and Kate and Cody as well uh, to <laughs> choose from. So uh, there's still time to get on the host list. We know that we have 46 requests. We know that we won't have 46 stops. However, if we did, that'd be that'd be great and insane. Uh, if you're somebody- well, a lot of times there'll be like four requests in Austin, and yeah. so then we'll choose which spot would be the best if there's a lot of demand. Like, which spot could they all come to, or um, what would be the biggest to hold the most people, or exactly. kind of play it off like that. So. So don't be, don't hesitate. Make sure you get on the list. Go to destroythehairdresser.com. There's a salon symptoms tab at the menu. Click there. You can see uh, a little breakdown of what the class is going to be about. And you can click become a host salon and just put your information in there. And somebody will reach out to you. Um, Aaron, most likely, or Taryn. Aaron or Taryn will reach out to you. And they will fill you in on how it works, and you can decide from that conversation if you want to host us or if you just want to come to a local salon. I want to see everybody's face this year. I do, too. I I want to see everyone's face, and I know that all of our coaches want to see everyone's faces, so get on that list. It'll be exciting. Salon (laughs) Symptoms 2020. We're going to cure them all. (laughs) It's like Pokemon. We're going to catch them all. Um, so something we, we decided to do this year, we, we did it in our first episode of 2020, but we wanted to bring more news headlines in our industry to you. Mm-hmm. Um, dive into this article that I found um, from New York Times. And the headline was a 21000 cosmetology school debt and a $9 an hour job. Mm-hmm. And it instantly made me very angry. <laughs> yeah, so it's a New York Times article that was mainly just talking about cosmetology school debt and then going out and getting a nine-hour job. I have a lot to say about yeah. this. I know you do, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you go first. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because um, I, I stayed longer in school. At the time, um, Aveda was offering a program. It was like a master's program, and you paid a little bit more. And, a little um, bit more. You got to come out with more education, huh? A little a lot bit more, more. yeah. <laughs> I know. So my, my schooling was a lot more than, than 21,000. I don't remember the exact amount, but, um, I just paid that off last year. Um, I think my career really took off when we started this company and I started to go back behind the chair and charge my worth and do all the things that we teach in our program, um, about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was able to pay it off, um, I was able to increase the balance that I was paying, but it literally took me but why were you almost able to 12 years the to pay off. Huh? Why were you able to increase the balance? Because I was making more money. Mm-hmm. A lot of mm-hmm. these, I think a lot of but, people go to cosmetology school thinking, well, first of all, you can't go into cosmetology school thinking that you're going to go get an hourly job afterward. That can't be. Our, hourly salons are great to get started. They're great for people that don't, need to grow their career to make more money but they're not great if you're entrepreneurial and you're like I want to have an unlimited amount of income and I want to base it off of the work that I do so I I I, the article was kind of like I get it she paid a lot of money to go to school and then she was only able to get a nine hour a nine dollar an hour job but that's like you know going like I told you it's like going to Harvard and then going to McDonald's you're not going to be able to pay the bill (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um I have but a whole it's, it's I have a whole crazy, belief like I have a whole belief that 
I don't think this is my personal belief. I don't think that we should make people go to school to be hairdressers. I think apprenticing for, you know, learning how to do it and then going off when you're ready, like to make people pay for it, then take a test. It's like you can actually be a real you can actually become a real estate agent after 75 hours. You do less to deal with people's money than you do to <laughs> cut people's hair. And I just think that's insane. Yeah. It's like 1200 It's a 1000 I do love the licensing part, mostly for the chemical portion of our our industry. Um, yeah. But I agree. I think that there's a better way to do it. Um, but, you know, that, that brings us into one of our topics that I wanted to talk to, talk to everyone about today was why apprentice, apprenticeship programs don't work like they should. And, you know, there used to be a time where you would be an apprentice for years and it was very uh, soul crushing and you wouldn't get a lot of growth out of it. And the industry has changed so much that, you know, we have to, we have to learn to change with the way that, that things are going. And we teach all our salon owners how to have proper assistance and how to do it the right way and how to make it so that the assistant doesn't come out of school and lose that drive. I mean, the amount of stuff that people are learning in school right now is insane. Like they are learning so much that they're coming out very strong. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is they go into a salon and the program's a year or two years and they're really not doing any hair. They're cleaning, they're doing shampoos. Um, maybe they're doing education and, you know, maybe they might take a model here and there, but the compared to how they were doing hair in school, when we were educators, um, in cosmetology school, I mean, our students would see eight to 10 people a day and then they come out and they're seeing maybe one a week. Like mm -hmm. that's insane, you know? So there has to be something. They're learning a lot in school. And they're learning. That's different. They're learning ridiculous things. I'm all for like basics, but you don't like when you go to college, you have to take certain classes, but you can also go to colleges where you create your own curriculum. And I mm -hmm. think if colleges can figure out how to allow people to create their own curriculum and then you have cosmetology schools that are like, you're going to learn how to do perms and roller sets and all these things that, let's be honest, a lot of these younger people are not going to be doing or they're going to be doing them in a different way. Like, I just, we've got to, there's got to be a way to change the schooling a little bit, right? Like, to spend yeah. weeks on a perm and then to go out in the world, never do one and not know how to balayage sounds insane to mm -hmm. me. And a lot of, it's like, It's also we funny because. Go ahead. <laughs> we do education, advanced education all the time. And I, if I was a curly hair specialist, if I didn't learn perming in school and I wanted to learn that, then I would go back and learn that technique yeah. versus spending time learning something that we never use. Like when there's all these other things that we could be learning that are uh, more demand. I think the school should shift their curriculum. I'm sure they do a little bit, but shift do. their curriculum to... I mean, um, I, when we worked for Aveda, they, were, they shifted it more than I think uh, um, any other school that I've heard of yeah and then we, you're I mean every year we were shifting the curriculum you're forgetting about like small like there's so many small cosmetology yeah. schools like I went to a small cosmetology school that like you learned perms you learned long layers you learned bleaching and re like and then you learned how to use you, you didn't even learn how to use texturizing shears so I destroyed a bunch of hair that way when I got out of school <laughs> but like we're just it's all that's why I'm saying like it become you're spending twenty one thousand dollars on education going out in the real world. And then you're like, I don't know what I'm doing out in the real world. Yeah. It's like at least make school worth it. For those out there like thinking that we're saying, get rid of the 
apprenticeship programs know, they need to be in place. And something, one of the belief systems that we have is finding a way to um, do it correctly. And so there's always been this model that we've taught that when you have an apprentice come in so that they don't lose that drive and they don't lose that um, kind of excitement and, you know, you don't want to take the wind out of their sails, was set up a system where they are assisting you and they are going through education and they are learning, but maybe they're required to bring in five clients a month, okay? And so those five clients a month would be charged a modeling fee, something smaller than the normal base fee in the salon. And obviously you're paying that apprentice hourly. So the model that they're bringing in is paying for them, which is A, great for a salon owner. But B, the stylist is still getting that hands-on education, which is so important. Then, let's say your program was a year, 12 months times five clients a month, and they're rotating and they're pre-booking with this, with this student, technically. Um, by the time they are not an assistant anymore, they have pretty much a thriving clientele to go on the floor with mm-hmm. versus a lot of times, all of a sudden, you've graduated from being an assistant, and then you're like, okay, I don't have any clients, you know, and you're like struggling to try to build and then you're more in debt. And then a lot of times people can't pay their bills and they quit doing hair and they go into another field, well, we've said which is unfortunate. In past podcasts that um, a lot of salons have apprentice programs because they just don't have room on the floor. And so they kind of make mm-hmm. up these like bullshit. Like, yes. Oh, like in a year. We did talk about that. When there's a chair, like there's a lot of, we've done a lot of that. But what I think I've, I've, when I work with salon owners, I'm like, listen, you don't benefit from having an assistant. You benefit from having people that are working, right? And one of the things yeah. that I always recommend is, te- like, see what they're good at. They don't If they're an apprentice, but they're amazing at blow-drying hair and doing retouches, they don't need to not be able to do – they don't need to avoid doing them right now. Let them do just those two things. Like, there's no need to make them an assistant, like, who can uh, – an assistant who's able to do these types of services – it's not beneficial to keep them as your assistant. It's beneficial to let them have the services they can do. And then the ones they can't do, that's where you work with them. That's where they're observing. Absolutely. But they, people don't like And to if do you that. don't have room in your space and, and you need help, you need an assistant, uh, post online that you're looking for someone, you know, offer education to come shadow. Like how cool would that be just to have like a rotating um, – a rotation of people that were wanting to learn and shadow you, but still able to help you on those busier days without yeah. having to commit to I, hiring someone that you have the room for. I think the problem is when the assistant program becomes the apprentice program. They're the same. It's like, yeah. it's you can't be an apprentice. I keep going back and forth, but it's the same thing. Yeah, like it, but I think that's the problem sometimes is that a, when you're an apprentice and then you're an assistant, the problem with an assistant is that an assistant is someone you're supposed to be able to rely on. An apprentice is someone who's mm-hmm. supposed to eventually go on the floor. They don't always if you're if you're thinking of someone who wants to grow as your assistant, it's hard. I mean, I when I worked at um a salon here in New York City, they have a lot of assistants and they were all able-bodied, amazing hairdressers that weren't producing because there was no chairs available. And then mm-hmm. the stylist became dependent on these assistants. And decided to pay them actually a living wage to be an assistant, and they never became hairdressers. So it's – an assistant and an apprentice should be different. You Can should. you imagine <laughs> <laughs> getting wrapped up in that and then all of a sudden just being like, well, I'm, I'm surviving, so I guess I'm just going to throw my dreams on hold to yeah. live my life. Like, but it's not, imagine. it's not surprising to me because when you're in that situation and someone offers you a living wage and you're – 
and you're not making one, of course you're going to take it. You're not going to think, let me avoid that so I can make more money in the future. We don't, unfortunately, we don't think like that all the yeah. time. But um, Well, it's a reactive response because we're yeah. not thinking long-term. No, it's I just... Like, okay. Listen, if you're if you're if you're not in school yet or you're thinking about going to cosmetology school, you've got to find a school that's up to date. Don't go to a school that's teaching you stuff you're never going to do, you're never going to use. It's like <laughs> it's like tr- wanting to be a doctor and going to school to be an architect. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't it also doesn't make sense to go to school, pay $20,000 or more and then go to a salon not and then then show them you don't know anything and then have paid $20,000 to learn nothing. Like research your schools, right? Um, as much as I talk shit about Aveda, it was a great school. People, everyone there, le- everyone that left there that really wanted to be a hairdresser became really successful. And I think find a school where maybe it's a little more expensive and more modern. I'm sure Paul Mitchell schools are also up to date. I hear a lot of people that love Paul Mitchell schools. Um, but make sure that you're interviewing the right school. The smaller schools sometimes just teach things by the book and you don't really leave with anything extra. And if you own a salon, start separating your assistants from your apprentices. They're, they shouldn't always be the same thing. Um, those job descriptions are very different. But yeah. you also, Sid also wanted to talk about something I thought was interesting was why it's important to know how much you make. Well, I think on the topic of that article where it was talking about making $9 an hour, and sometimes in our classes, we have given a little formula to figure out at the end of the day, how much you're actually making hourly based on your annual salary. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd be good to share that formula with you, yeah. <laughs> with everyone listening, especially, I know some of you probably are driving around the train or walking or doing whatever you do when you listen to this podcast, we're working out. Make sure that you really remember this formula because it's so important to know going forward. So Basically, here's the formula in a nutshell. We are going to take our annual dollar amount, our week, our days worked, hours in a day worked, and divide all those together. So, for example, if you were to make $40,000 last year, you would divide that by how many weeks you worked in a year. We say average is 50 because usually people take about two weeks off. Personally, we think you should take off more. (laughs) Divided by five days a week, usually. Uh, is the days people work divided by eight hours a day and that hourly pay would be $20. So fill in the gap, basically recapping annual dollar amount divided by the weeks you work divided by the days you work divided by the hours in a day you work and you'll get your hourly rate. Yeah. And I think there's two ways to do this formula, right? There's one to look at what you're, what you're actually making, which is what you made last year divided by all those numbers. And then there's what you want to make. And dividing it by the weeks that you want to work and then dividing it by the days you want to work and then dividing it by the hours you want to work. So there's two. It's the same formula. One is just what's actually currently happening and seeing how much you make hourly. And then one is what you would like to make hourly. And we in our program talk about charging hourly because it makes the most sense. However, um, it's hard to make that transition, especially if you don't own the business and also if you're just afraid of, of making that change. But still seeing what you are making hourly is very powerful. And a lot of people, unfortunately, find out they make very little hourly, um, which sometimes helps. It's always shocking when we do this formula in class. Mm -hmm. People will come out thinking that they're making the money that they want to make, and then they're making like $10 an hour. Exactly. 
and then you realize you're working harder and not smarter, and it's a whole process. That's why our classes are a little upsetting, but <laughs> but they're good. They wake people up. But again, like Sid said, the formula is your annual income divided by how many weeks. By the way, there's 52 weeks in a year divided by how many you actually worked or how many you want to work, and then the days you worked and the hours you worked, and that'll be your hourly pay. I'm sure that we're going to get tons of DMs being like, can you tell me the formula again? I think I we'll just throw it up there on our Instagram story. There was someone that tagged us in it. They had heard our formula, and then they posted some of it on their story. I can't remember who it was. Yeah. Um, but we will do that What's again. really cool is using this formula in class, we'll use this formula to figure out how much we want to make. So sometimes someone will put in like, all right, I want to make a million dollars. I only want to work 40 days a week or, or 40 weeks in a year. Sorry. I only want to work three days a week and six hours. And then it'll show you how much you need to charge hourly to make that amount in a year. You'd have and to charge $1,388. $1,388 yeah. an hour. And then you yeah. could be a millionaire. Did you do the math? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, but that's really cool because it gives you goals. Like if you're in a space where you're like, I do want to be a six figure hairdresser. Okay. Well, what would it take for me to charge to actually achieve that? And I think going back to the article of being in debt from hair school or being debt in debt in general, um, you know, how can we start to make more income and then focus on getting ourselves out of those bad situations so we don't have to change our career so that we can be thriving hairstylists that, have great credit scores and don't have debt and they're opening our own businesses and are profiting. And that's what we want to focus actually profiting. And here's the other thing. Don't get mad at the owner. If you're working for an hourly salon, like this article, this woman in the article is working for a salon that pays her $9 an hour, most likely like a Supercuts or a sports clips or something like that. But there are also higher end salons that do pay hourly. If you're working for someone and they don't pay you enough, don't blame the owner for the debt that you racked up. Like, if you went to school and you racked up debt and you decide to go into debt to make more money, it's not the owner's responsibility to make sure that you can pay off your debt. <laughs> it's your responsibility to be like, yeah. maybe the salon isn't where I need to be to be able to do that. So I get that I get that there's part of the article that's like, yes, we're making too little, but we're also working in an industry where we do have the ability to make as much as we want. So Please stop getting mad at owners for – the owner has it set up so that they can survive and make money. If they can only pay you a certain amount hourly, that's just what it is. It's not their fault that you have debt. <laughs> um, it's, you know, you got to be smart when you're going into school. If you're going into school, find a way to also pay off debt while you're in school. Um, and cosmetology yeah. school, you know, $20,000 is a lot, but it's also way less than a college degree. So there's a little more room to figure out how to pay it off while you're in school you can apprentice, you can assist, you can do all those things. We are very lucky to work in such a flexible industry. And I think we just kind of underutilize it sometimes. Also, I I suggest every single person out there has a financial advisor. Um, and when, when I have people say, I can't afford that, there's apps that will help you. There are, um, there are people that work with lower incomes. Yeah, like, like it's, they, everyone should be looking at their money and how to not only invest their money, but also how to make more money, how to pay off debt, how to do those things. Like that needs to be a focus. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're not making enough money, there's a couple of things happening. One, maybe it's time to leave. Two, maybe it's time to open your own salon suite or salon with a team, which I would, I'd recommend 
the latter or the former. I don't ever, I don't ever know if it's the latter or the former. I would recommend opening. We all uh, understand. <laughs> I would recommend opening a salon with um, a staff if you really want to grow and you think you can lead. And um, and then lastly is increasing your pricing, which is always mm-hmm. an issue. It's that's the biggest issue I think we deal with with each person. I know it's every single creator of mine. Every single I, person. I mean, we focus on that. So when should someone increase their pricing? A few things. If you are so at capacity that you cannot fit anybody else in, that's a sign. If you want to, uh, if you're working more days than you want to work and you're working more days to fit in everybody, that's a sign. So people think, oh, if I increase my prices, I'll lose clients. Well, if you want to put yourself in a different bracket, a different different financial bracket in, in your community, then you want to lose clients because we want to have the people that are going to stay with us in that next bracket. So almost thinking like growing in different financial brackets in the community. There's people that are would pay thousands of dollars for their hair. There's people that'll pay, you know, $15 for their hair. So where are you putting yourself in that bracket? It's always funny too. People are so focused on loss that they don't. I know. Like there's also a gain factor. (laughs) Yeah. You're gaining people that want to pay you the price that you're charging. Right. And you're losing the people that unfortunately cannot. But, you know, we've said this in multiple of our classes and podcasts and all the things, you know, have a plan to share those clients with other people in your community and direct them where to go so that it's not just a, a fire and go kind of situation. I, I um, reading, but it's okay to lose clients. I was reading this book. I cannot remember what it was, but it was, they were interviewing this guy who um, he sells yachts and yachts are millions and millions of dollars. And he broke, he's a broker for selling yachts. Um, a yacht broker, if you will. <laughs> And he he was talking about um, how when he st- when he first started he was selling just like small boats like you know ten thousand twenty thousand thirty thousand but like cars almost um, and then when he got he was afraid to go into the luxury market because he thought well I'm not I'm gonna lose all the people that I that I work with currently they're not gonna continue to buy boats for me or recommend me because they're not gonna be able to afford this but his whole experience was once he started selling multi-million dollar boats, he was like, oh my gosh, the, the problem wasn't that, um, the problem wasn't about losing who he had. It was that he didn't even know there was another group of people that existed that could afford this. And that if he wouldn't have taken the risk to sell higher end products, though he himself at the time was not a multi-millionaire, he felt like, of course, like we all do, shame and that we don't belong in that group or whatever that is. But he was like, there's a whole other world that people just, they don't know it exists, so, and they can't see it, so they just avoid it, and they stay below that line. And so I just thought it was interesting. I think that's so true with hairdressers. It's like, there is a there is a level of people that you haven't even met yet that pay a lot of money for beauty services. Like, I don't think the Kardashians yeah. are spending $15 on a haircut. <laughs> no. Right? But, and but I'm that's not saying- we have to take a risk and increase. Right. And every and I hear this all the time. Oh, well, I live in a small town. There aren't a lot of people that have money here. But no matter where you live, there the market. There are high markets and low markets. There are wealthy. There are less wealthy. It depends on what you're going for. Is that's more important than saying, oh, I live in a small town that doesn't exist here? Every, somebody has to be the most has to charge the most in a small town. 
Like somebody has yeah. to. And when I started working with Rachel Radford, who, like I mentioned in the beginning, she's one of our coaches. When I started working with her, I made her an ultimatum. I said, if you want to work with me, you've got to be the highest paid hairdresser in your town. I'm not, I don't want to work with you until you charge the most in your area. And she had to, she had to increase her prices over 50%. And the irony of it all was that she didn't lose one client. <laughs> she didn't lose one client. In fact, she didn't lose anybody. It, she gained more people. And then she had people giving her even more money. So there's a it changes the mentality of how people treat you. It creates a boundary like we talked about in our last podcast about how people treat you when they realize that you take yourself very seriously. Other people start doing the same. Students that raised her prices, she hadn't raised in years, made in just that first price increase um, so much money that like the most money she's made in years in just like two months. Okay. Then the whole goal that we had was to decrease her hours, but she couldn't, she couldn't cut down her hours. And so six months into our program, she was like, she came to me. It was so hard to get her to change her pricing. She came to me and she's like, I have to raise my prices again because I'm exhausted (laughs) and I have to do it again. And I thought that was hilarious. And you know, something I, I put into perspective for everybody. Okay. Just let's just, think out loud for a second 33 clients okay 33 clients that's we probably see 30 30 clients or more in a week Does that mm-hmm. sound about right mm-hmm. all right so if you were to have 33 clients a month all right so instead of a week a month that's way less hours you have to work and you touch each one of those people 300 dollars for a service so whatever that service was whether it was a cut in color, just balayage, whatever it was, each one of those people were paying $300 every time they sat in your chair. You would make $10,000 that month. Right. Not only would you be working less, but you would be making so much more. So it's like people sometimes think making $10,000 in a month is so unachievable. But once we increase and we realize $300 isn't actually that much to pay for a color and a haircut, right? Um, you could be making that kind of money. So well, I- very cool. What I've, what I've found with most people is it's not that they – it's not the price increase that freaks them out. It's the it's the explaining it. How do the I explain to people that I'm worth more? And yeah. in coaching, we do a lot of we, – we help – instead of just saying, hey, here's the script, because that's what everyone looks for, right? Like, what's the script? How do yeah. I say it? The, the only reason you need a script is because you don't believe it. Right. Why do actors need a script? Because they're not actually going through that problem. Right. The actor who's playing someone who, you know, is slowly dying on a TV show has to have a script because they're not slowly dying. They have nothing to draw from. (laughs) So (laughs) when you're raising your prices and you don't believe that you should, you're like, what's the script so I can act it out? Yeah. Right. And I think once in coaching, the point is to actually get to a place where you're like, no, I am worth this much. I should make more money. I should work less. And that way, once I believe that, I can explain it because it's a belief I have. Absolutely. Right. And looking at how often you invest money into your industry. So a lot of times when in most corporate jobs, once you take a certification, you get a raise. Or once you've accomplished a goal, you get a raise. And so think about how often we hit goals and benchmarks in our industry on a monthly basis. How much money we put into education that's a certification right there. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. So, I mean, pretty much if you're on that track, you're hitting your goals, 
you're making sure that you are um, educating yourself, you should be raising your prices every year. There's, I, I think, mean, there's your raise. I think there's also, as Americans, it's like, I think there's some level of, if we don't work hard all the time, and like, if we're not exhausted, yeah. then we didn't do it. We're anything. not busy. We're not successful. Yeah. And I noticed that like other cultures aren't really like that. Right. Like I, I remember yeah. be, when, when Josh and I were in Mexico, work and personal life were so intertwined. I mean, people were like painting houses outside, but also like hanging out and talking with neighbors. And it was just kind of like yeah. this. They, to, as an American, I'm like, no one's working. <laughs> but what I really what I realized was that they're all working and they're working at a different pace. They're enjoying their life. It's, shit's getting done. And they're not extremely depressed like all of us and drinking too much caffeine. Sweden just issued a four-day work week. How cool is that? That is incredible. And I mm-hmm. I think of it this way, and I think we've all had this. When you go on vacation, you come back, your quality of work is so much better, right? Because mm-hmm. And that's true for, I think, any job. You're more focused. You're, after, your, after your vacation hangover, you usually can bring a lot to the table. But we don't do that. We Like, even when we do our formula for dividing it by 52 weeks and we say divide by 50 for those two weeks off, like, that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's very, very I sad. Off. I want two months off. I have I literally taken a month off. I have not worked since the 15th. I think, let me rephrase that. I came you... <laughs> back for four days to do some clients, but I pretty much have not worked physically. Well, you've been remodeling the house. The 15th of that doesn't count. That, that's a fun project. You know, luckily I've built a company where I can do coaching calls in an office. And the fact that I could take a month off and not feel fully strained is, I mean, that's the goal that I wanted. Right. And so I think we need to be prepared for that. I'm remodeling a house, but what if I got sick? You know, what if, um, you know, I needed to go help someone? What if I had, like, we're not planned for those things. And so we need to, we need to be in a space where we're preparing for all of those things, preparing for, our financial future when we retire and preparing for um, having, you know, back rent and back bills, you know, stocked up and taxed up. Prepare situations. I'm going to go on like a rat, you know, six weeks. Have fun. Live your life. We we always say we only get roughly 100 years, right? Mm -hmm. So what are we doing with them? And I, one of the things too, even with some of our coaches, we've, luckily we've gotten all of our coaches that own salons to a place where they don't have to work behind the chair anymore, which... That's by the way, when you own a business, that's the point is to run the business, not work behind the chair. Um, we've gotten our coaches that own salons to get there. And one of the things I find kind of fascinating is that they um they A feel guilty because they're not working as much, even though they are working more because they're managing their team, they're meeting with their staff, they're they're making the business actually run. Um, and they're bored and don't know what to do with themselves. And it's again it's like you know that's it's such a what a great place to be that your your business is running itself so well that you don't know what to do with yourself and that's when unfortunately if we don't have a coach or you don't have someone helping you usually we start sabotaging things then right it's like when the relationship with someone's going well i should start a fight (laughs) when the business is running itself (laughs) i should cause a problem um but it, in, with those people that are doing well like that, we want to either open another location, we want to expand, we want to get, we you know, we want to take that boredom or that extra time and get to the next level. We want to increase our prices. So it's just, it's, I think people have this fantasy of getting there, but once you get there, it's it also comes with its own stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we want to oh. like I think we I think we want to wrap up with our with our horror story. Done with a horror story. So if anybody has a <laughs> horror story, whether it was traumatic or hilarious or uh, even just a, a funny story, it doesn't all, we we call them horror stories because sometimes they are. But um, <laughs> please email us info at destroythehairdresser dot com. We would love to share them on the podcast. We're going to do that a lot this year. So, but you um, have David, one. Do you want to read this one that we got? Okay, I'll read it. Yeah. So we have one from. Christina Del Doso. I apologize, Christina, if I'm saying that na- wrong. Um, but she was talking about um, how that when she first got to the salon that she was working at, that there was an ongoing joke that every apprentice quits. Um, and in 10 months that she worked there, she saw four people quitting. Um, so basically what, what everyone was saying was coming true. And she realized that it was a red flag. Uh, side note, she... This all happened while she was listening to our podcast before when we were talking about um, red fl- red flags in salons. We're good. When yeah. we were talking about red flags in salons. And uh, that's why she sent us this. But she saw four people quit within 10 months. She says, over the course of 10 months, I was given five blow dries. And my salon owner told me that I wasn't allowed to take clients because the other assistants couldn't take care of the salon like I could. So, again, this is the problem with apprentice and assistants. She was such a good assistant that the apprentice part went out the window. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't learning much, and my mental health was horrible due to how I was treated. She said that she quit the salon four weeks ago, which I'm sure was probably months ago at this point. She says that she's learned to value herself as an apprentice, and I've also learned to put my mental health first. I want to thank Sid and David for the podcast bringing awareness to apprentice abuse in salons. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is Stop a level abusing of abuse. people. <laughs> it is abuse, and it the it problem is. with that. Listen, if you haven't listened to our podcast about red flags, um, please do. But there's a lot of salon owners that just don't know what they're doing. It's not their fault. And if you yeah. or someone you know doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, it is not finding <laughs> people to help them. But everybody has to take personal responsibility in this situation, you know? Exactly. Like, if you are working for a space that is not making you, we're, you know, yes, we are business, but we're also artists at the core. And so if you're losing that artist drive, you have you have to remove yourself. Like, there. And people are like, well, what if I get fired or what if I quit? I'm like, do you know how many salons are just on this block? Like, go find <laughs> another one. Like, it's okay, you know? Listen, um, I, I and think... salon owners, if you're feeling strapped, find help that can help you. Find someone that can help you. I mean, that's why we created Destroy the Hairdresser. But, yeah, listen, salon owners, that this is, this is like a, I mean, this all goes back to, this is a normal symptom that salons have is that they the salon owner isn't available to solve problems so they hire all these people as apprentices promise them the world and then they're like oh you can't be you can't go on the floor you can't do this because we need you this business can't run without your help and so then they're stuck as assistants and then you lose them so it's uh Sid were you ever an apprentice uh no because the program that I did in hair school threw me it trained me to be an educator right out of school okay yeah that's right I have been I was an apprentice, and then I was an assistant, and then I was on the floor, and then I worked for someone else, and then I was an apprentice again. Like I've been all over the place, but um, but it, it it's valuable. But unfortunately, the way that things are set up right now, it's more valuable because you're learning what not to do. Very rarely are you learning what you should be doing. But yeah. like like you said, Sid, there just so everyone knows, there are. Um, it says the U.S. hair care service industry includes more than 80,000 establishments. 
at 77,000 beauty salons and 4,500 barber shops. And the <laughs> combined revenue of the salon industry is about $20 billion. So there's enough money for all of us in that industry. There's enough clients for all of us. There's enough places there's enough to work. There's salon chairs for all of us. <laughs> uh, so hopefully that number makes everyone feel a little bit better. But um, we hope that Christina Daldoso is doing much better in her new salon home, which I think she is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if you have stories like this, or if you have horror stories or funny stories, like Sid said, email us info at destroy the hairdresser. You can DM us, but when you DM us, stuff gets lost. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. But Sid, do you have anything else to say before we sign off? Anything to say from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? <laughs> I don't know where I am. Uh, raise the prices. Raise. 2020. Start your new decade off right. <laughs> Perfect. And then next time we're together, money next time I next time we we're recording, hopefully we're side by side. It's harder to communicate with you when I don't see your face. Yeah, I need to look deep into your eyes and your soul and like feel you while we. Do I can't this, like. So. I Is can't, that creepy? No, like I can't feed off of you. Like when I stop talking, there's a pause because it's like you can't see if I'm actually stopping to. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, this is like a trial because we're bringing on a lot of guests in 2020 and they are calling in. So we're just going to have to roll with it. But our next podcast, I will be by your side because I will be back in New York full time again. So it'll be wonderful. And we'll have, we have, is Max there? Max is here. Hey, Sid. (laughs) Hi. It sounds like it's Max in in mine. Is that Max and I? It's like our podcast. Yeah, this is our show now. Because. (laughs) And then I'm a guest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Max, what did you learn from today's podcast? Um, I, I guess it just reinforced the benefit of going to school for what you want to do, right? Um, and then getting a job that can pay off the debt, exactly for that yeah. school. Is it like that for sound engineers? I was lucky to go to school for that, or I I didn't go go to school for that, but I ended up leaving school having studied that. Ah. Um, so I'm one of the few people that I know from my like year of people graduating college who works in the field that they studied. Yeah. And did you, do you make enough in this field to pay off the debt from college? I'm not going deeper into, I'm not. Oh, you're not going deeper yeah, into, into debt. debt you're yeah. maintaining. I'm, <laughs> which is still a problem, right? I'm paying off like enough to, to ah, be move, moving forward. So you're doing better than most. Yeah. Of your other sound. I love that. Friends. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So what we've learned from today's podcast is that Max is doing the best. (laughs) But um, no, so I want to thank Sid, my podcast guest, um, all the way from Pittsburgh. And I cannot wait to see you back in New York City, happy and healthy and done with your remodel. So excited. I know. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to everyone in a few weeks. Me too. (laughs) Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.